Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. Thanks for that, Andrew. And thank you, God, for dresses with pockets. What an incredible morning of, of worship and that, that message that, um, that God wants to pour out his blessing on his people. And this morning I want to talk about um, the impact that Jesus has on people when they encounter him. And I, I hope that for most of us that applies. Is there any way of getting this a little bit less echoey, if possible? Um, the, on, there I back again. The topic of my um, uh, talk this morning, my sermon this morning, is hope. And um, as Andrew mentioned, uh, we've actually been watching The Chosen uh, during the week. Season three is out. It's very exciting. Um, school holidays, so bedtime is a little bit flexible. We may have started one episode during the week that was a little bit later than we probably should have started it. And we got to the end of that episode and the kids are like, we need to know what happens next. So we watched the next episode and we got to the end of that episode and the kids are like, no. So we watched the next episode and went to bed disgustingly late. But it's so exciting to see, um, to see my kids moved by how people um, are changed when they encounter Jesus. Um, obviously, I mean, these are, these are stories that I've read dozens of times. Um, the, the Chosen does a great job of um, bringing out the backstory, you know, putting us in the shoes of the person in first century Capernaum who is meeting Jesus and encountering them in their troubles and in, in, in their challenges and what's going on in their lives and the impact that Jesus has on that person. So we're going to um, go through one of those stories uh, this morning that's in season three and I, I do warn you there's a couple of spoilers, it's not too bad though if you know your Bible there's nothing in there that you shouldn't already know. Okay. <laughs> So if I can have that, um, that scripture up, guys, Mark 5, if you want to read along, um, verses 21 to 34. And I, I've, I've put some backstory in here because we need context, right? So Jesus just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. He is wildly popular. There's like a tent city set up on the edges of Capernaum. The Romans going nuts, not knowing how they're going to deal with it. And then, so it says, we start here in Mark chapter 5, 21. So Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so that she can live. So Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. 
She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus, realizing at once that the healing power had gone out of him, Sorry, Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd (laughs) pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. Now, I want you to try and imagine what this woman's life might have been like for a moment. Leviticus chapter 15 tells us what the law of Moses said about her condition. If anyone touched her, They would need to wash themselves and their clothing and they would be unclean until evening. Any bed that she laid on and any object she sat on would be unclean. If anyone touched those things, um, they would be unclean. So she was unable to move freely through society. She was unable to attend temple worship and it's very unlikely that she was married. And she probably had little or no family left who were willing to associate with her and certainly not in in a close proximity. And we kind of pick that up from a scripture. She's on her own. She's desperate. She's given up everything. I imagine she probably lived a a life of extreme isolation. Um, The the Levitical law actually says that if someone um, is unable to be, like is unable to or is unwilling to be made uh, clean, ritually clean, that they're to be cast out. And, and we know that in, in first century Capernaum, we were at an age where we were putting rules around laws to make sure that nobody even, you know, accidentally broke the law. You know, you weren't allowed to spit on the ground in case it stirred up the dust and, you know, ploughed it. That was considered work on the Sabbath. It was extreme. And can you imagine what it's like with no one being able to touch you? Who here enjoys Julie's hugs on a Sunday morning? (laughs) Couple of hands there. And we all appreciate the hugs of our parents, our children, our friends, our spouses. When you're going through a rough time, an arm around the shoulder can be healing. And if, if you, we know that if, if you guys are going through a rough time, you know, you can come down the front and you have prayer and we'll lay hands on you or we'll put a hand on your back. And, and that, that physical touch is healing. 
She had had no one touch her for 12 years. I imagine along with the simple discomfort of constant bleeding, she probably would have been in pain. She would have been severely anemic and very weak. Just to keep herself physically clean, she would have had, it would have been a daily challenge. You know, there was no disposable sanitary products and washing machines back in first century Capernaum. Yeah? The Gospel account tells us that she had suffered greatly and she was financially destitute. She had spent everything that she had on doctors and after all that, the doctors only made it worse. She was in a worse condition than what she was when she started. She was an unclean, unloved woman, living alone, unprotected, poor, and unable to work, probably relying on charity, just to survive. The past 12 years had been cruel and unrelenting. And she had no reason to believe that anything would change. You know, looking forward, where was she going to end up? She would probably continue in her condition, continuing to get worse until she um, got older and was unable to care for herself and would in all likelihood die an early death alone, realistically with no future and until Jesus came along, no hope. We read about her desperation to get to Jesus who she had no doubt heard could heal people. But there's a crowd surrounding Jesus as he makes his way through the narrow streets of Capernaum to Jairus' house. The New King James Version describes the crowd as a great multitude, so densely pressing in on Jesus that when he asks, who touched me, his disciples treat it as a ridiculous question. It's like, everyone, Jesus, everyone touched you. <laughs> now let's think for a minute. This woman is ceremonially, that is really hard to say, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, ritually unclean. And anyone who touched her became ceremonially unclean. And it was a punishable offence under the law of Moses for this woman to do what she did but she was so desperate to get to Jesus as her last hope that she was willing to risk everything just to touch his clothing. And when she finally manages to get to Jesus, according to the Lord, Jesus' response should have been to openly condemn her and have her arrested for making every single person in that crowd potentially ritually unclean. And every single person in that crowd would have had to have gone and washed and washed their clothes and been unclean until morning. And remember, we're on our way to the house of the leader, one of the leaders of the synagogue. Okay, so the religious leaders are watching all of this unfold. But Jesus' response to her is so different to what the law says should happen according to the way that they had interpreted it. And so we're going to actually watch um, 
the scene as it, as it plays out in um, The Chosen up on the screen now. Apologies to the live stream people. Um, yeah, I can put a link in the comments. It's just a YouTube video. <laughs> Please, I promise I will speak to all of you soon. And my students and I will care for your needs. But right now, there's something very important that I must do. And I kindly ask you to let me go so I can take care of this urgent issue. I promise I will see you. But right now is not possible. Thank you for your understanding. Quite an impactful. Sorry? <laughs> You'll have to watch it. <laughs> it is available um, online. You just download the Chosen app and you can watch the whole thing for free. There's no charge to it or anything like that. Um, I really um, struggle watching that without getting choked up. I actually thought twice about putting that in there as I was like watching it last night with a tissue. And, um, and, and wondering how I was going to go speaking afterwards. But that's all good. We're good. Keeping in mind that was probably the, the first time in a lot of years that she had been touched with any kind of affection. And the thing that, that really struck me about that scene and so many others like it, and these stories through the Gospels of where Jesus encountered people was the very real impact that encountering Jesus had on every person that he saw, every person that spoke with him, every person that listened to his sermon and his message, every person that was healed or set free by him. It, it wasn't, it's, it's not just about um, the message, but it, it, it's about more than that, and we're going to get to that. But beyond the obvious physical and spiritual healings, these people were different after they encountered Jesus. They had hope. They left Jesus changed, filled with hope and a fire in their spirit and a sense of life and purpose. Knowing that our Creator knows us and cares for us and has a purpose for us, not just collectively but individually by name, is it changes your, your perspective and your outlook on how you do life, or it should. So I want to um, share three ways that, this is where we get to the dot point section, um, three ways that I think that we see Jesus um, showing hope, uh, particularly in, that, in, that in those gospel stories in the New Testament. First of all, we have... Point one, Jesus as God. Jesus was God incarnate and he came to show us the heart of God towards humanity. A heart that isn't closed off or distant, waiting on high on some heavenly throne for us to sin so he can rain down fire and brimstone like, ha I've been waiting for you to mess up. He takes no pleasure in that, you know, like wanting to smite us. God's heart is one of love and sacrifice for us. You know, we, we 
quote John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It, it, it means something. God so loved the world that he gave his son freely so that we can have a relationship with him, that whoever calls on him will have eternal life. It is a heart that seeks to redeem us and call us back to him to be his own special possession. That's the heart of God that we see displayed in Jesus. And if it doesn't move you, it's like, wow. I can't watch that stuff without being moved. I can't read those stories with, and, and think about the impact on my own life without um, being moved by that. Psalm 34:18 says, "The Lord is close to the broken-hearted and rescues those whose spirits are crushed." And that's Old Testament. That's Psalms. God's always been working towards this. And that there, that, that is hope enough right there just in that one point. But my second point is Jesus as man. Jesus showed us what it was like to walk with God as a human. Back in Genesis, we see that we're created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And the Psalms speak of that earnest desire and longing to be close to God. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 5, we're going to read. Get that one up. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. In fact, I would say, and this is a bit of a, a flip on how we often think of ourselves, I think, but I would say that it is impossible to be fully human without that closeness with our Creator. It's just not how we're made. We are created to have an intimate relationship with him, with a heart that is sensitive to him and ears that know his voice. And without that, I would say that we are a mere shadow of what it means to be human. Yesterday, um, I and many of us here had the great privilege of attending Eric and Venna's wedding. Who loves a wedding? Weddings are great. I love weddings. And just recently, Josh and I celebrated 21 years of marriage. 21 years and five kids. And there have been times when life has been relentless and busy. And Josh has been working long hours, mostly shift work. And I remember when the kids were smaller and needed a lot of care and a lot of attention from me. And I remember... Um, at times, it kind of felt a bit more like we were housemates than a married couple wildly in love. Julie says my eyes sparkle when I talk about Josh. 
He's rather cute. <laughs> but isn't that how we sometimes get with God? Comfortable? Saying hi on Sunday and, and then kind of forgetting about him as the week goes on? And the longer that that story plays, uh, plays out, there's no denying that there's a distance that develops there. And in the same way that a ma- as a married couple can grow apart and you can start to develop different interests and different ways of thinking, the same thing can happen in our relationship with God over, the time, over that time and we find it harder to hear his voice. And our thoughts don't quite align with scripture anymore, but rather they tend to get... Uh, more in line with the relentless noise and content that we are kind of bombarded with on a daily basis from media and and our friends out in the world and just society in general. The one thing I've been really grateful for is that neither neither Josh nor I are okay with that arrangement. And any time that we detect that distance, we will fight tooth and nail to find time to spend together even if it means sacrificing sleep or housework. We will work to restore that ground and close that gap between us and rebuild the relationship to the same strength and passion that it should have. And the same goes for our relationship with God. We need to be that dedicated and that desperate to maintain that closeness of relationship with God. Our Sunday mornings are not enough. We need to be spending time with God daily, taking time away from the crowds, just like Jesus did, to hear from God, kind of like a date night. And we need to be sharing with our brothers and sisters in Christ the testimonies of what God has done in our lives to encourage us and to spur each other on. So the third way that I want to talk about how Jesus shows us hope is in his calling to us. We are not mere members of a religion sitting idly waiting till it's our time to go to heaven. Anyone happy with that arrangement? Just kind of like, I'm just sitting here killing time until I'm called to glory. We've got work to do, people. We are called to be ministers of the gospel, continuing Jesus' ministry of showing people the heart of God and what it really means to walk in relationship with our Creator who loves us and who has a purpose for us. In fact, Jesus' final commandment in Matthew chapter 28, and I don't have it up here, sorry, but Matthew, right at the end of the book of Matthew, if you're looking for it, Jesus says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. The last thing... He says to us, the last instruction that Jesus says, go. Don't just sit around waiting for me. Go. We are called to be salt and light to a broken world. And the church is to be a place to meet together not only as those who share beliefs, but as those who share a purpose to build each other up and equip each other, to spur each other on, encourage us to ministry out there 
In fact, when we're sitting here, I want you to be thinking and praying for one or two names of people that you can be really lifting up to God this week in prayer. People that you know, that you're going to just intercede for and go, God, give me an opportunity to speak life and hope, your life, your hope into this person's life. Not just, you know, gee, I like your hair today. Um, but be ready to answer for the hope that you have. And maybe it's as simple as what you get up to on the weekend, oh, I went to church. Sometimes that's a hard thing to bring up, particularly in a workplace environment that's hostile to the things of God. But be praying that God will soften their hearts enough that they can come back and go, oh, you go to church. Be opening up those avenues for conversation. We are called to be representatives of Christ, to go out and to, to be out there in, in it. Because how else are they going to hear? If we all sit here in, on, in, in here on Sundays and have a lovely old time and then go out there and never actually admit to what we have, they're never going to hear it. You are the best gospel message that most of your friends will ever receive. Give them an opportunity to read it. And in the same way that The Chosen is impactful because it highlights the impact that Jesus had on the people who encountered him, I want to hear your stories. I need encouraging. And as we share a coffee this afternoon, I want to really encourage you to be sharing the testimonies of what Jesus has done in your life and how he has impacted you. Yesterday, um, I had the amazing privilege of reading a testimony of how um, my childhood best friend, my high school best friend, uh, Rachel, also Rachel, it's a good name, um, prophesied Eric's relationship with Venna three months before he met her, tapped me on the shoulder and told me she had a prophetic word that Eric would meet the love of his life in three months' time. They hadn't even met. Blows my mind. I know it shouldn't, but it does. And I know that there are incredible stories in this room of people who have had impactful moments where God has just has spoken to you or has given you a word or has changed your circumstances where coming out of that, you are not the same person as what you were going in. I want to hear it. And we should be encouraging each other with that. The service doesn't end when I get down. Be encouraging each other with that. And ask each other for prayer. I'm going to be praying to speak to my workmates. Can you pray for me about that? I've got a friend who is closed off to the things of God, but I want to somehow communicate the love and the hope that God gives me to them because they so desperately need that in their life. Please pray for me that I will have an opportunity and the courage and the words that the Holy Spirit will give me the words to speak that will touch that person's life. Pray for each other for that stuff. You to go out and be ministers of the gospel, encourage each other. And and then come back next Sunday, ready to be encouraged again, to be equipped, to worship God together and glorify him in this space, ready to go out again the next week. Yeah? 
And I really pray that, that, that you guys have an amazing week, but not an amazing week in the sense of like, um, oh, you know, it was great, we did fun things. An amazing week in that you see the, the impact of God in your life ministering to others out there that other people are impacted by, the, by Jesus in your life. This, this thing started with 12. 12 people. Go on, pick 12 people out of this room, send them out into the world to try and change it. There's no room here for us to be idle and to be sitting at home doing nothing. That is my encouragement to you guys this week and um, I really pray that that you can take it on board, that you guys can see that you are just as qualified as 12 fishermen from um, first century Capernaum, most of who didn't have educations, half of them probably couldn't even read, they were only young, they didn't have religious training, most of them. We are equally as qualified, we have the same Holy Spirit in us and the same God that can heal a woman of bleeding for 12 years can absolutely work on our behalves as we go out. Amen.